My somewhat obsessive nature came out a little bit this week. I think I've shared with you before, a little bit proudly, I guess, uh, that I'm a bit neurotic sometimes. And um, so that happened this week as we rearranged some offices here in the building and we were moving some furniture. And when I was made aware that some of the bookshelves that I've been using were put together originally incorrectly, well, do you know what I did? I had to fix them. Every single shelf. And I literally mean that I had to. Like, it wasn't an option for me. I had to fix them. Even though no one else probably would have noticed even though I probably had other things on my task list for that day that I could have spent my time on, and even though it only slightly increased the functionality of those shelves, I had to. And then the next day, I decided to take on a yard project. I haven't edged my yard in a really long time. And so the St. Augustine grass that grows down here in Houston, Texas, I mean, this stuff is aggressive. And it sends out like these arms that'll just take over your curb and your sidewalk. And so my yard, I mean, it was a hot mess. And I had to fix it. And I had to. And I was committed and I was determined. So it didn't matter when an hour had gone by working out in the 100 degree heat with the 105 heat index, sweat just dripping down, and I was only a quarter of the way done. I was committed. I was determined. I had to do it all, every single edge. It all had to be cut and clean and, and perfectly lined up with that curb so that I could stand back and admire my work. Do you ever do that? Now, maybe you're not as zealous about office furniture or as passionate about your yard, but what are you passionate about? Because I think it tends to be the things that we are passionate about. Those are the things that we are willing then to spend a great deal of energy, a, a great deal of effort. We're going to invest massive amounts of time to make sure that it's done well, exceptionally, excellently. And, and even if other people maybe wouldn't notice or they wouldn't care about that particular thing, maybe even if they would label us a bit obsessive or perfectionistic or even neurotic, we won't, we won't even mind that because we are passionate about it. And whatever we're passionate about, that's where we'll work hard. We'll invest our time and we'll want it to be excellent. Are you passionate about your God? Jehu was passionate for the Lord. We're going to hear about that in just a second. That he was passionate for God, and yet his life is also going to serve as a reality check for us this morning. 
And so we're going to discover how Jehu was passionate for the Lord. He was filled with zeal for his God. And he was willing to do what it took to some extent to show that passion for the Lord. And so we pick this up in 2 Kings chapter 10, starting with verse 18. Jehu, by the way, is finally we get to a good king in the history of the northern kingdom of Israel. And we see his passion for the Lord in these opening verses. Then Jehu brought all the people together and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little. Jehu will serve him much. Now summon all the prophets of Baal, all his servants, and all his priests. See that no one is missing, because I am going to hold a great sacrifice for Baal. Anyone who fails to come will no longer live. But Jehu was acting deceptively in order to destroy the servants of Baal. So Jehu brought together all these servants of Baal. He was going to bring them together. Baal was the Canaanite cultic god of rain and thunder. His presence had been pushed by Jezebel, who was married to King Ahab. And because of that presence, because of the insertion of this Baal worship into the Israelite culture, God had proclaimed great curses destruction upon the house of Ahab. And Jehu had actually already addressed that. If you read the first part of 2 Kings chapter 10, you'll see that. But now he turns to those who promoted, who led the worship, the leaders of this cult of Baal. And he gathers them all together in one place. And then we read what happens next. This is in verse 25. After they had this staged worship service, this is what takes place. As soon as Jehu had finished making the burnt offering, he ordered the guards and officers, go in and kill them. Let no one escape. So they cut them down with the sword. The guards and officers threw the bodies out and then entered the inner shrine of the temple of Baal. They brought the sacred stone out of the temple of Baal and burned it. They demolished the sacred stone of Baal and tore down the temple of Baal. And people have used it for a latrine to this day. So Jehu destroyed Baal worship in Israel. Now that was violent. Lots of death and destruction, and this was at the hands of a servant of God, one who was passionate and zealous for the Lord. And that brings up questions. Questions that it's important for us to address and answer and to understand why this was so violent, why this was so deadly. Jehu knew that he needed to completely rip out and uproot the Baal worship that was a plague on the spirituality of the people of Israel. And it devolved into sickening moral depravity. 
See, for those who worshipped Baal, they saw Baal as this deity whose favor needed to be won. There was no idea, there was no concept of just being gracious to a God who just generously poured out gifts to you by his grace, by his mercy, by his love. No, Baal, the God of thunder and rain, he needed to be won over. You needed to appeal to his thirsts and his desires. You needed to perform, to sacrifice, to do what it would take to get Baal to be on your side so that he might send down the rain and cause the land to produce crops, to sustain life itself. And so Baal worship consisted of these orgiastic rituals in which the intimacy that God has given to his gift of sex was completely unknown, completely cast aside. It was no longer about that gift. It was no longer about that intimacy, but it was simply about trying to increase Baal's own sexual powers and bring fertility to the land. And so for these rituals, then, there were women who would be pressed into service as temple prostitutes. Young women forced into those acts. In our modern-day era, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security defines human trafficking as using force, violence, or coercion to obtain some side of labor or commercial sex act. That's what Baal worship was. And think about just the natural consequences that would occur from that type of worship. What would happen when these young women would find themselves pregnant with an unknown father of their child, with no husband there to support them in their life? Do you know what Baal worship was also known for? Child sacrifice. Are the two connected and related? I don't know. I'm not a scholar. I'm not an expert on that. But the value of human life was eroded and degraded completely. Young children were murdered thrown into the fire to appease Baal. Does that make you angry? Does that upset you? Even though we're 3,000 years removed from this cult and their worship, it angers God too. It upsets him as well, and Romans chapter 1 reminds us of the wrath of God. 
Romans chapter 1 reminds us that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them. What we read here in 2 Kings, it is sad and it is violent and it is destructive because it is the just wrath of God poured out against wickedness to protect others from the lies that might drag them into the depths of hell. Those leaders of the cult of Baal, the they knew the true God. His power, his might, his authority had been clearly revealed to them in the miracles that he had performed for his people and for his servants like Elijah. They were without excuse. And so God used Jehu to deliver his just punishment in time, in history, through the hands of Jehu and those soldiers. Jehu was passionate for the Lord. And he carried out this task, but he left a little bit of the job undone. He didn't purge all the idolatry from Israel. Look at the next verse after we hear that Jehu destroyed Baal worship in Israel. This is verse 29. However, he did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit, the worship of the golden calves at Bethel and Dan. It might have been less Violent, it might have been less sexually immoral, but it was still vile idolatry. It was still God's people who were exchanging the truth of their God for a lie and worshiping created things rather than their creator. Jehu was passionate for the Lord, but he allowed idolatry to linger. Do we sometimes do the same thing? When we think about how passionate we are for God, do we purge all the idolatry from our hearts? Do we give our entire hearts over to the Lord? Do, do we go to the furthest edges of those hearts? And, and do we make sure that on the very fringe that they've been trimmed, that they're not sending out those arms into the weeds of wickedness in the world? Do we make sure that our, that our mind and our heart, it is cut and it is clean right along with the curb that God has placed for morality and ethical living and, and how you are to love your neighbor? Do we make sure to purge all that idolatry that could be there? Or do we sometimes exchange the truth about God for a lie? Do we sometimes fall into thinking 
some thoughts about God that just aren't true, they aren't, aren't in a line with what God has revealed to us in his word. And are we willing to put in the efforts and the energy and the work that it takes to, to bring our hearts into line with God's will? Are, are we willing to work under the, the heat of peer pressure and worldly values those scorching rays that come at us from our co-workers or our family's disapproval or condescension or anger? Are we willing to sweat through that so that we can acknowledge the God who both made and saved us? And sometimes it's just in the way that we think about God. And how he operates and how he acts. Oh, our culture is not unlike the culture of the world in which they worshiped Baal. Now, maybe the idol has become ourselves. Maybe if there's a part of our heart that we haven't given over to God, we haven't allowed God to claim, or a part of our life that we haven't allowed God to claim, that's the idol for us. But the attitudes and the actions are remarkably similar. The incredible intimacy that God has given as a gift to the relationship of marriage is not known or celebrated in our culture. We hardly ever celebrate as a culture that Sex is this selfless act of love for your spouse rather than some sort of conquest for my enjoyment, my satisfaction, or my self-esteem validation. Human life and the value that we place on it, it has been eroded and degraded in our culture as well. As we use scientific and, and clinical terms in order to make murder more palatable in our own minds and hearts? Or the value that we place on human life ourselves as we seek to reach out to those who might be in an incredibly difficult situation? Feeling like they have no other choice? Feeling like they have no other option? Do we value their lives too? And how often do we simply give thanks to our God for the good and gracious gifts that he rains down upon us every single day because of his love? And so we're hit by this reality check and we might be passionate for the God, and I know that some of you, you are incredibly passionate for your God. You want to live your life in line with his will, and, and the way that you do so and how you do so, it, it encourages and it inspires and it lifts others of us as we watch you and we learn from you and you serve us. Jehu also would have led and encouraged and inspired the people of Israel but he allowed a little idolatry to linger. And maybe sometimes we do too. 
And we also know about our God. His invisible qualities that he's been made known to us through this wonderful, majestic world that he has created for us. But thanks be to God that we also know his greater qualities. The greater qualities of his overwhelming love and mercy that have been declared to us through his word and through his passionate zeal to rescue and save us. God makes his grace known to us. In the promises that he has declared to us, God makes this amazing grace known to us as he assures us that he has sent his son, Jesus, to be our Savior, to declare the forgiveness of our sins, to cleanse all of our hearts with his own blood. And when you think about that work of our Savior, when you think about what Jesus has done, you see that he is somewhat obsessive as well. He's obsessive about you. He was willing to do whatever it took to save you. He was willing to put in any amount of energy, any amount of effort. He was willing to go all the way to the cross for you. And Jesus didn't matter what anybody would call him or say about him. He cared about you that much. And he gave his life as a sacrifice. The greatest of all sacrifices because it was a sacrifice that was willingly given to win you back into the family of God. It was a sacrifice willingly given and it was violent. And it was deadly and it was destructive because it was the wrath of God being poured out upon Jesus so that it would never be revealed against you. The simple truth is, for our hearts and the idolatry that has resided in them, God's wrath should be revealed against each and every one of us. But Jesus took that wrath upon himself on the cross. Willingly. And when you know that grace of your God, when you know that Jesus himself, that he was compelled by his compassion, his zeal for you, because he was so passionate for you and for you to be a part of his family that he would do whatever it took. When you know that, how much of your heart do you want to give to Jesus? When you know that, that Jesus is the God who gives every single day, he gives out of his grace, out of his love, out of his mercy, he gives this, this grace that's unasked for, it's unearned, he, he just pours it out to you each and every day. How much do you want to give your heart to him 
rather than the idols that we might find in this world, wealth, success, whatever it might be, that just want to take and take and take from us. And, and when you recognize that God is so passionate for you, and, and Jesus, when he went to the cross, that he did everything fully and completely It wasn't just good enough, it was perfect and complete so that he might present you perfect and complete before God, your heavenly Father, pristine, redeemed. And when you know that that's how you stand before God because of Jesus' own declaration of forgiven, then how much do you want to carry that out as you live your life? That is the amazing truth, the truth of the gospel that we know about our God. That is the amazing truth that motivates us to purge every idol, to give our entire hearts over to our Lord, to be passionate and zealous for our God because he was passionate and zealous for us first. And he moves and he motivates and he encourages us to give our entire hearts over to him. It's been a few days since I edged my lawn. And so there's some grass that started to grow over the sidewalks again. There's always going to be another idol to destroy in our hearts. There's always going to be another part of our heart that wants to suppress the truth of God's word and God's grace. And so, my dear friends, Fight the good fight. Return to Jesus' love and his compassion, his grace to motivate and encourage you to purge every single idol out of your heart. Return again and again daily to God's love and grace and mercy so that you also will live with passion for your God. Amen. Amen.